Doing well, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain, joining you live. Well, it's a live stream. I guess you can figure that part out for yourself on this year of our Lord, the 18th of February 2020. I hope you guys are having a wonderful evening. And, um, you know, I'm not a guy who's very big on the word faith. <laughs> not massively big on the word faith. But I will say this. I will say that uh, sometimes, you know, it might not be totally the end of the world if y'all just had a tiny, tiny smidge of faith, well, in yours truly. Hey, I get it. It doesn't mean that I'm always right. It doesn't mean that I'm flawless. It doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes. But we are going to talk a little bit about Dickie D, not the ice cream, but the, um, the uh, biologist and scientist, uh, Richard Dawkins, and the question, the exciting question of eugenics. Now, when Richard Dawkins posted something on Twitter, he wrote this. He said, it's one thing to deplore eugenics on ideological, political, moral grounds. It's quite another to conclude that it wouldn't work in practice. Of course it would. It works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses. Why on earth wouldn't it work for humans? Facts ignore ideology. Okay, it's not a perfect Richard Dawkins impression, but he is a rather silver-haired fox of soft voice British upper-class correctness. So uh, let's um, sort of break this down, and hopefully I can help you understand why I wrote appalling and why I've done a couple of little things. I mean, you know, confined to the Twitter two-minute uh, ADHD uh, flyby fest of reasoning, but uh, I wanted to sort of break it out a little bit more, get your thoughts, questions, criticisms, because... I guess, uh, you know, based upon the feedback that I've been getting, some people are like, yeah, makes sense to me. Other people are like, you're crazy, bald head man dude. And uh, I wanted to explain myself because, you know, nothing solves an Internet problem like, you know, just explaining yourself so that everybody can understand where you're coming from. All right. So let's be, of course, fair. I'm not accusing Richard Dawkins of wanting to implement Nazi-style eugenics. Of course not, right? So he did say, For those determined to miss the point, I deplore the idea of a eugenic policy. I simply said deploring it doesn't mean it wouldn't work. Just as we breed cows to yield more milk, we could breed humans to run faster or jump higher, but heaven forbid that we should do it. And then he wrote, A eugenic policy would be bad. I'm combating the illogical step from X would be bad to so X is impossible. It would work in the same sense as it works for cows. Let's fight it on moral grounds, deny obvious scientific facts, and we lose, or at best derail, the argument. Okay, I'm not sure how many people are actually proposing eugenics these days, so I'm not sure what arena the good doctor is stepping into. But um, let's, uh, let, let's break down the argument and make sure that we understand it. So when I said appalling... I will sort of tell you the equation that worked in my head. You know, whether that works logically or not, we shall see. But the equation that worked in my head went something like this. So, when someone says it's, it's one thing to deplore theft on ideological, political, moral grounds, it's quite another to conclude that theft doesn't work in practice. It works for thieves, doesn't it? Why on earth would we not say that, right? Facts ignore ideology. 
It's one thing to deplore communism on ideological, political, moral grounds. It's quite another to conclude that it wouldn't work in practice. Of course it would. And that's sort of an important consideration. The moral is the practical. And that's an old objectivist argument that I think is important, I think is worth remembering, and we kind of forget this at our peril. The moral is the practical. So the facts-values dichotomy, the moral-practical dichotomy, is incredibly frustrating to deal with. That's not an argument. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from emotionally so that it makes sense. Because the number of times I've heard in my life, well, it works in theory, it just doesn't work in practice. And it's like, can you imagine that in, in the sciences? I have this wonderful theory of physics. It's a unified field theory. It ties together strong and weak atomic forces, electromagnetism, gravity, you name it. The mysterious pull that Kim Kardashian have, it all gets explained, right? Now, unfortunately, every experiment completely disproves my hypothesis, my scientific conjecture. However, if you present this at a conference, here's my theory, and here's all of the evidence that disproves everything about it. And then you'd say, well, so I guess what we're going to have to say is it works in theory, it just doesn't work in practice. <laughs> well, that seems kind of important. You would never get away with that in the sciences. Okay, I got this, this scheme, this, this idea, you see, that lizards are warm-blooded. That's my conjecture. Lizards are warm-blooded. Now, okay, it's true that every single time we test lizards, they're actually cold-blooded, but let's just say it works in theory, just not in practice. <laughs> if it doesn't work in practice, something's wrong with your theory. Okay. So that's sort of where I'm coming from. Now, the big question comes around the question of eugenics and what it means. So there is a history of eugenics. I mean, eugenics goes back to Plato, 400 BC, and, and even earlier, the idea that the elite should breed with each other, the smart people should breed with each other. Oh my gosh, there are too many, blah, 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 right? So eugenics is a, has a long history, and of course, uh, I, I um, was trying to explain this to my daughter today, this exciting interlude. And what we did was we looked up something that I was aware of for quite some time. If you look up, it's actually kind of fascinating. You look up vegetables and fruits before and after domestication, right? Before they were bred in. And you've got, you know, these, these peaches were like the tiny little cherries and roots just look like, I mean, sorry, um, carrots just look like horrible roots stuck in the ground that you couldn't even eat, like tubers. And uh, bananas used to be like weird with these big giant... Uh, Seeds on the inside and uh, corn used to be tiny, hard, and now it's big and luscious and watermelons used to, and you get it, right? So yeah, 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 we, we breed. And I use this example sort of very early on that we uh, breed uh, wolves and other canines to be more like dogs, to be stuck in a state of perpetual puppyhood, to have neoteny, right, which is the childhood characteristics carried on into adulthood, which generally characterizes from a physical standpoint, not a mental standpoint, of course, females in humanity and females in other species. So this um, idea that 
you can breed things and change the outcome. Yeah, of course. So it's kind of yeah, natural selection, and you can go and interfere with it, and you can crossbreed. And yeah, he's right. Cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses. Who cares, right? I mean, that's such a commonplace that it's not even worth really discussing. And of course, even in my show, I've talked about the experiments where it was a Russian researcher who wanted, was curious to see, could I create both peaceful and aggressive foxes? And what he did was he got a whole bunch of foxes together, and he bred the most aggressive foxes with each other, and he bred the most peaceful foxes with each other. And within a couple of generations, he had puppy foxes and demon foxes. (laughs) I guess we got a title for the show, right? And I've talked about that. Of course, it was even before the Dawkins uh, tweet, I talked to just on the call-in show on Saturday night last, uh, sorry, not the call-in show, the Ask Me Anything from Discord. I was talking about how uh, you can sort of trace the history within Judaism of the smartest Jews, the rabbis, having the most kids, giving them a third of an IQ point per generation over time. And I've talked about this many years ago with my Jewish Conspiracy Theories rebutted video and interviews with people who are talking about all of the cultural and biological aspects to the excellence within Judaism. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I know all of this stuff. I get all of this stuff. So eugenics, this idea that we should take principles of excellence and improvement and apply them to human beings, has two contexts. One is the historical context, which is just, you know, encouraging your daughter to marry a smart guy, right? I mean, I I tweeted just uh, the other day about uh, somebody posted a graph about how your dating pool diminishes with every sort of inch you get shorter as a man to the point where if you're like 5'1", 5'2", only 1% of women will date you. Whereas if you're six foot, then it's like 99% of women will date you. So yeah, I, I get all of that. It's, it's eugenics for women to, to prefer taller men and so on, right? So eugenics as an idea that people of high quality should breed with each other, well, that's not really a new idea. This goes all the way back to sealing off the aristocracy, sometimes to the point of inbreeding excess. This goes all the way back to Plato. This, I mean, this is not a new idea. Eugenics kind of came out of Dalton and other people, out of Darwinism, really, in the 19th century, and uh, it was generally trying to promote the idea of genetics and better human breeding. But we've been doing this anyway. We've been doing this anyway, right? So men look for genetic markers of fertility, of uh, health, you know, even features and a good hip-to-waist ratio, clear skin, lustrous hair. All of these things indicate genetic fitness, as does height, particularly when food was scarce. To become tall, you would have had to have had enough food when you were growing up. So uh, it just means that you come from a productive clan and all that. So this is not a new idea. So for Dawkins to say eugenics and say, and I'm not saying he does, but this is what people kind of misinterpreted this all to mean. It's just, well, it's just just dating. It's just choosing your partner. It's like, that's no, 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 that's not eugenics. Eugenics is a very specific term that comes out of Darwinism, the study of genetics that came out of the mid to late 19th century. And it was a specifically American phenomenon. And a lot of the arguments about Eugenics were to do with state action. In fact, in America, thousands of people were involuntarily sterilized by the state 
In Germany, of course, under the Nazis, hundreds of thousands of people were killed. I mean, outside of the Holocaust and all of that, hundreds of thousands of people were sterilized through the force, through the power of the state. So that's, that's just a historical fact. So you could say, well, the idea of eugenics kind of blends back into history. It was talked about when people got all hot and bothered about the new science of genetics. But what it really means in the post-war period is state control over reproduction, which generally has two components or categories to it. One is preventing people forcibly from reproducing, usually through sterilization or death. But the other way that it's been talked about in terms of how it is enacted within the state is forced marriage, right? Is the state choosing who marries who? And this goes all the way back. You know, my presentation on Plato talks about this as well. So that is uh, something I'm fully aware of. Now, voluntary dating is not eugenics, is not eugenics. Because if you're going to say that voluntary dating is eugenics, then you don't have a word for the state controlled and coercive aspect of preventing or forcing people to mate with each other. If you're going to say that voluntary mating is eugenics, then everything becomes eugenics. You know, rabbits banging like a drum out in the field becomes eugenics. Uh, flies mating with you become eugenics. I mean, everything is eugenics. And then, of course, we already have the phrase natural selection for all of that. So we don't need the phrase eugenics. Certainly since the Nazis, since the Second World War, eugenics has meant the forcible sterilization or forced copulation of people for a particular government aim. That's just the way it is. There's a reason why all these scientific societies that used to be called societies for genetics had to change their name after the Second World War. And so it's just kind of specious to say, well, no, eugenics isn't meant that way. Yeah, it is. It really is. There's a reason people avoid the term. There's a reason that Dawkins used it. He's fully aware of its, voluntary, of its volatile nature and its involuntary history. So if Richard Dawkins were to say, it's one thing to deplore women choosing tall men on ideological, political, moral grounds, right? It's quite another to conclude that it won't produce tall children for women or taller children, right? And of, of course it would. But he used the word eugenics, which since the 1930s, since the 1940s, uh, both in America to a smaller degree, because America was the fountainhead of the eugenics movement, and through Nazi Germany, it's very, very clear that he's talking about state action. He's talking about coercive action in controlling people's reproductive lives. That is just a fact. It is the basic reality. And uh, if you have doubts, about it. Um, you can go to, gosh, what do we have here? Miriam Webster. Not the worst source for definitions. So, the pr uh, definition of eugenics. The practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of human populations, as by, sterilization, as, as by sterilization, to improve the population's genetic composition. Let me read it to you again, because I posted it right away. Everyone blew past it in their hysteria. Definition of eugenics, the practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of human populations as by sterilization, sterilization to improve the population's genetic composition. So that's uh, important, right? 
A half century ago, eugenics became associated with Hitler, genocide, and master race theories, and its reputation has never recovered. After the Second World War, eugenics became a word to be hedged with caveats in Britain and virtually a dirty word in the United States where it had long been identified with racism. Now, Dinesh D'Souza has said the new advocates of biotechnology speak approvingly of what they term free market eugenics. Now, there is no such thing as free market eugenics. It's like conflating rape and lovemaking or the welfare state, which is coercive, with charity, which is voluntary. The voluntary choosing of romantic partners free of coercion is not eugenics. Now, saying to someone, oh, you should choose a smart person to have babies with because your kids will be smarter, that's not eugenics. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's basically the plot of uh, um, a 19th century novel, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's not eugenics. Saying to women, you know, tall, tall guys will like you, give you taller children, that's not eugenics. Now, when eugenics as a principle moves into the realm of state coercion, now we're talking eugenics. When selection for breeding moves into the realm of coercion, now we're talking about what eugenics really is. And this is not just since the 1930s. There were elements of using the state to bar or propel people to have uh, babies uh, with each other, to, to, not, to not allow them to have babies or to force babies to be made with particular couples. That goes all the way back to Plato, probably further back to the pre-Socratics. So that is the reality. When you encourage people, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, I'd really like it if you gave me uh, five bucks, right? Freedomain.com forward slash donate. It's one thing to say, it'd be really nice if you gave me five bucks. It's another thing to, to steal $5 from you, right? These, these are not the same situation. So to sort of briefly, and I'll get your comments and questions in in just a sec, but sort of just want to run over the arguments really, really briefly. So when you say that the government forcing people to have babies with each other, which is institutionalized rape, right? You understand that's institutionalized rape. And this is, of course, what was going on in, in Plato's Republic as well. That's why it's such a God's forsaken tyranny, right? So forcing people to have sex with each other, forcing people to be married to each other, uh, that is, uh, that's, that's straight up institutionalized rape. So that's not good, right? You could say, oh, but it works. It's like, well, if by works, you mean that forcing people to have sex with each other will change the genetic composition of their children, well, of course, but that's such a, I mean, such a useless thing to say. It's like, you know, my big insight is that, you know, if one guy steals from another guy, it means that the guy who steals ends up with more property and the other guy ends up with less property. It's like, well, that's almost like a tautology, right? What does that add to anything? It adds nothing to the equation, right? So he doesn't mean that it works in terms of changing the genetics of the society. He means that it works to improve the genetics of the society. And... Uh, what does, that, what does that mean to improve? Well, my argument, of course, was that improving comes about because of the free market. Improving does not come about because the government forces people to breed or, you know, hacks off their genitals or uh, chemically castrates them or kills them so they don't reproduce and so on. That doesn't lead to an improvement. And uh, what benefits the state is, you know, dull, dumb, compliant, 
head, shoulders, slope shoulders, staring at the sidewalk, trudging off to work, tax livestock. That's not an improvement in society at all. And this, you can see this, of course, with government education and all of that. It is just... And, of course, the fact that uh, uh, the government generally tends to prefer immigrants who don't have that same history in general. There are exceptions, many exceptions, of course, but they don't have that same history of challenging authority that is one of the great glories of the West. They just like those particular immigrants. Sometimes it seems even over the native population because they're just less trouble ideologically as a whole. Again, tons of exceptions uh, and so on, right? So that's one example. Now, the second example is that if you look at something like institutionalized rape as a form of eugenics, which it is, something like out of Plato's Republic or other places, um, then what happens is the woman who is forced to have sex is not really that bonded with her baby. She might willpower it, she might white-knuckle it, she might grit her teeth and try and love that baby, but it's the product of state power. It's a product of coercion. And so when human females, this all sounds very <laughs> clinical and analytical and alien almost, but when women... When women don't bond with their children, those children have much less of a chance of flourishing and surviving as adults. So if you're going to talk about eugenics, selective breeding, because it's not just about preventing people with genetic problems from having children. That prevents dysgenics, which is the deterioration of the quality of the gene pool. He's talking about, and Dawkins is talking about, forcing men and women to have sex together. Now, you could say, well, he doesn't say that. Well, yeah, he does. He, he absolutely does, because he says eugenics works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses. Well, uh, horses are bred together, and you can say, yes, but they're not forced, and so on. It's like, well, they kind of are, because they're not free to roam and choose their own mates. With roses, you, you snip them and clip them together. With dogs and pigs and cows, you breed them with specific other creatures in order to produce the effects that you want. So, yeah, that is, they say, well, is that institutionalized rape? Well, no, that's it's a different matter. I mean, it's, it's not great, but, you know, it's not as great as if they were free, but it's not the same as human beings, which is why having a stake is different from uh, something else that Richard Dawkins says we should drop our objections to, uh, which is cannibalism. So it is uh, institutionalized rape that he's talking about, that you can only marry one person and you can only have sex with that one person, and it's enforced by the state in the same way that the breeding for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses is enforced by the owner of said animals and flowers, right? So he's not just talking about um, aborting kids with Down syndrome and so on, or the work that the Jewish community has done with Tay-Sachs disease to minimize or eliminate it and so on, right? He's talking about forcing men and women through the power of the state to have uh, sex with each other for the cause of improving the genetics. And my argument is that if you force men and women to have sex with each other in order to improve the species, then the parental investment is going to be low or nil or negative, right? There may be revulsion or repulsion against that. And the reason I say this, I mean, I did a call not too long ago with a guy who was informed that he was the product of a rape, and I've had other calls that are similar over the years that I've been doing this show, and yeah, it's a tough bonding scenario. And if the parents aren't bonded with the children, then things aren't going to work out very well for those children as a whole. And where there is a lack of bonding, where there is a lack of love, where there is a lack of modeled, productive, healthy, loving 
human behavior, right? The parents, the mom and the dad love each other. They care about each other rather than they were just jammed together like salami in a sandwich by the mailed fist of the state. Well, then the kid's going to grow up messed up and it's just not going to work, right? Because there's epigenetics too. Genes get turned on and off again based upon or get turned on and off based upon your environment. And so you're going to have a lack of bonding, you're going to have messed up kids, you're going to have no modeling of healthy human interactions, you're going to have possible revulsion on the part of the parents, and human beings do not breed well in captivity. We just, at least smart human beings don't breed very well in captivity. So yeah, when he's saying institutionalized rape, government-enforced insemination can work, I got to tell you, it can't. The government will not choose the smartest and most challenging and smartest people to create super anarcho-libertarian babies to <laughs> challenge the might, power, and authority of the state. That's not what they're going to do at all. And the products of eugenics, institutionalized rape, the products of that horrifying way of creating human life will be abandoned, scorned, mistreated, neglected, or grudgingly taught by their parents, and they're going to grow up really dysfunctional, really messed up, and they're not going to want to have their own kids, right? I mean, one of the big things that's happened with sort of the falling rates of birth in the West is that, you know, kids like me and kids who are younger than me went through the process, so many of us, millions, millions, tens of millions of us, went through the process of watching divorce occur, right? And then for a lot of people, that's like, man, I'm not doing that. Like, I, I don't know what I want in life necessarily, but I sure as hell don't want to go through what my mom put my dad through, or more rarely my dad put my mom through. And so saying it's going to work in practice, where you're creating rape families, dysfunctional, messed up, destroyed families where the parents aren't bonded, the kids don't respect the parents, the kids don't want the life that the parents have, and they're going to fight like hell against the system that produced such a completely destroyed situation. So this idea that it can work, come on. I mean, you got morality is a process. Life is a process. You don't just look at a snapshot and say, hey, you know, if we force two people to breed, we'll have smart kids so it works. It's like, that's, that's the same argument as saying, well, I don't really want to work for a living. I'm just going to go steal for people and it works. It's like, does it work in the long run? Does it work uh, in the widespread society? Does it work as a whole? And of course, giving the only way that eugenics can work is if you give particular people the power to force people to have babies or forcibly prevent them from having babies, whether that's through murder, through castration, through forced birth control or something like that, right? And so the idea that power doesn't corrupt, that it's just going to work, that you can give people this kind of awesome power and it's just going to work out hunky-dory, tickety-boo, it's going to work, man. It's going to, come on. Oh, come on. I mean, this is as naive as saying, well, you know, if we give government officials the power to create and transfer trillions of dollars, well, they're just going to solve the problem of poverty and everything's going to be great. And what happens is they end up buying votes and, um, going massively into debt and uh, controlling everything that everyone does, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So when he says, it's one thing to deploy eugenics on ideological, political, moral grounds, it's quite another to conclude that it wouldn't work in practice. Of course it would, right? He's making a statement. 
that institutionalized rape and widespread chemical or physical castration would work. That's a claim. He says, of course it would. Of course it would work. It works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses. Okay, so he's saying that if it works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses, it will also work for human beings. Now, the only way that it's worked for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses, I'm going to say that in my sleep later tonight, <laughs> the, only reason it, the only way that we know it works is because it has worked for thousands and thousands of years. In other words, cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses have been refined through eugenics. And again, eugenics is the wrong word, through selective breeding, through animal husbandry, it used to be called, and I only know that from Dungeons and Dragons, because it's worked for thousands of years. If it only works for one or two generations, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. In other words, if you say, well, I'm going to um, try and get faster horses, right? So I'm going to breed two fast horses together. Their kid is going to get pretty feral and want to attack everyone who tries to ride him and bite and kick and go nuts and then will refuse to breed after that. Is that working? No! That's not working. That's not working. Let me just sort of remind you of this scenario, because this is how it plays out in actual, out there in the blue room, meeting the flesh people, human beings. If you said, oh man, I got a great idea for a horse. We're going to get a fast horse by breeding two horses that are fast together. But the kid's going to be really unstable. The, the foal is going to be really unstable. The horse is never going to want to race, and it's never going to reproduce after that. Is, that. is that working? You'd say, no, that doesn't work. It's a huge waste of time, energy, and effort, right? But that's what happens with human beings. When you force them to rape, when you castrate them, when you control their breeding with massive government power, they don't want to have kids much. They don't grow up in a functional environment. They're not happy. They're not productive. They're not together. They're going to be messed up. I've done a whole series on this called The Bomb in the Brain. You should really check it out. It's on YouTube, The Bomb in the Brain, just talking about how childhood abuse and being the product of coerced eugenic rape is a messed up environment. It creates such a hothouse of emotional abuse and dysfunction and neglect that it's not going to work. You can't just treat... I mean, I don't know how do you say this to a biologist. Human beings are not roses. <laughs> I mean, the things that I have to say, the things I have to say on this show. Human beings are not dogs, right? Uh, human beings do not respond generally very well to institutionalized rape or castration. They just don't. And so when he says it works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses, he's looking at thousands and thousands of years. It will never work that way in human society. It can't possibly work that way in human societies. Tyrannies collapse. Always. Tyrannies collapse. We're trying to break that cycle. But Richard Dawkins is not helping that. <laughs> right? So X would be bad. So X is impossible. Well, eugenics is a long-term plan. There's no such thing as eugenics that lasts for one or two generations and then destroys the creatures, destroys the species, destroys their reproductive capacities, right? Well, I guess there's mules, right? Mules are super strong 
hybrids uh, that themselves are sterile, if I remember right. But you can always make more, right? <laughs> and and they don't uh, they they can be used productively, right? Uh, the products of institutionalized rape and castration uh, will not be generally very productive to society. And you know it may take more than a generation or two, but you're going to get a massive collapse. I mean, just look as as governments grow, as they grew uh, in the West, uh, as they grew. I mean, you get this fall off of birth rates, and that's not even with regards with regards to eugenics. Although I guess you could say that uh, the policy, the one-child policy, was eugenics as well. So I really just wanted to sort of make these points. I couldn't really do it in two minutes. So. Uh, Richard Dawkins doesn't get to say that eugenics that has lasted for thousands of years is proof for eugenics working on human beings that has never shown uh, to, to certainly would not last in the modern world at all. So I just wanted to get those points across, and uh, I hope that helps. Let me just uh, uncouple that. I'm sorry I don't have uh, audio uh, set up, but uh, it is lovely to chat with you guys nonetheless. Let us um, have a look at what people have to say. And uh, let's see here. Have a voluntary fund to pay high IQ people to breed more. That could be moral and work. Well, um, see, now that's interesting. That's interesting. So basically you're saying the opposite of the welfare state, which is a involuntary fund that pays, obviously, well, single moms have IQs in the 90s for the most part, low 90s. So, so have a voluntary fund to pay high IQ people to breed more. That's interesting. That does not solve the problem of human bonding bill, right? Because if you say, well, if you pay me 10,000 bucks, I'll become a dad, then what's the problem? Well, the, the problem is that really smart people won't give up 20 years of fairly full-time labor for the sake of 10,000 bucks, maybe 100,000, maybe a million, right? Then it just starts to become kind of ridiculous, right? And so... It doesn't solve the bonding problem. The only way that human children flourish is when the mother and the father are passionately bonded to that child, right? So like today, um, I've got this debate coming up on Sunday night, 8 p.m. with Roche, a communist, a revolutionary communist. And so what I did today, and I talked about this with my daughter, and she was very eager to do it. So we're stepping our way through the communist manifesto. And I'm explaining to her, and I recorded our conversations about this with her permission, and uh, it's at the moment gone out to, um, uh, it has gone out to my Subscribestar supporters, and there are tons and tons of shows up there. I hope that you will check it out. I'll probably put it out at some point uh, um, in, the, in the public domain, but it's, you know, an introduction to communism for kids, right? Because I'm talking about it with an 11-year-old, a smart 11-year-old, so... Uh, so, and I, I love doing that stuff with her. Like, that's super fun. And uh, it's just, she's just a, a, such a great pleasure to spend time with and chat with and, and play with. And uh, as, you know, it, it, there's always something new, right? Because her brain is developing and mine's getting creaky and dusty. So the, the bond is what works. If I didn't like her, if I was just paid to have her around. And you, you know, you've heard of all of these stories of the people who adopt kids just because the government is giving them money. And I've talked to some of these people in my show. Again, I've got such a lot of experience now talking with people about this kind of stuff. I'm not coming out of nowhere, right? So if you just take kids to get money from the state, then you're not bonded with them, usually. I mean, there are some people who do it well and so on. So just giving people money to have kids doesn't solve 
the problem of, of bonding, right? Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? We're not in nature anymore. We're bastardizing nature with the welfare state. Well, see, this is the thing too, right? So that's kind of a dysgenic situation, right? Uh, eugenics. Uh, I wanted to sort of point that out because I think it was... Um, oh, gosh. What's his name? Well, it'll come back to me. Anyway, so somebody out there was saying that, uh, well, you know, we, we have laws against cousin marriage, uh, incest. We have laws against incest, and, and that's eugenics. And it's like, no, no, that's not. That's not eugenics. So eugenics is for the improvement. A law against incest is to prevent a deterioration. Now, those two things are not the same. You can say, oh, two sides of the same coin. Well, yeah, I guess like making money versus losing money, two sides of the same coin, they show up on the same ledger, but they ain't the same thing. So if you have laws to prevent the deterioration of a genetic situation, such as cousin marriage or, or um, uh, brother-sister marriage and so on, father-daughter marriage and so on. Well, that is not eugenics. That is the prevention of dysgenics. And it's just not, it's not the same thing. It's, it's really, really not the same thing. I mean, if I say uh, I'm going to give you $100, okay, that's, that's a positive thing, right? If I say, I'm not going to rob you of $100, would you consider those two things the same? Of course not, right? All right. Uh, it's like saying that laws against theft are exactly the same as laws that compel people to give money to each other. That's just not, uh, not how it works. Stefan, smash dirty commie. <laughs> All right. Um, all politicians should be made to take an IQ test. Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to check out your Subscribestar. Yes, so subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. Uh, that is to sign up. You can actually give me one-time donations there. It's called tips. You can subscribe there for, you know, three bucks a month, five, 10, 20 bucks a month. Please, it's so helpful. It's so important. I would love to be out there doing more documentaries. But uh, as of late last year, I kind of had to rebuild from scratch. So boy, <laughs> you guys could come out and drop me a couple of bucks on a monthly basis. That would help with planning enormously. I would really, really appreciate that. And uh, I think that um, I think that I earn it. I, I think that I earn it. A third cousin is safe. I don't, uh, I don't really know. Why would I give money to this guy talking on the net? Well, that's a, that's a fine question. And let me, let me answer that for you. First of all, I do provide unique value. There's no question of that. There's no show like this anywhere else. There's no show that deals with this breadth of topics that takes on this level of controversy, that takes this number of hits and punchbacks, you know, for the sake of spreading the truth. That has close to 700 million views and downloads, a million books read every single year. And, you know, I'm pretty tight with the audience, right? I mean, I'm emailing people. I check my messages on Subscribestar twice a day. And so if I'm providing value which I am, and you guys know. I mean, come on, you can just read my Wikipedia article. You can read what the mainstream media has said about me. You know I'm taking some serious hits for the course. And I'm taking those hits. You all can stay anonymous if you want, and, you know, you can come out and support me vocally if you want, which I would appreciate. But I've taken a lot of hits over the years, and uh, they do seem to be escalating uh, at the moment. Of course, it's a big year. So, yeah, 
uh, I'm taking a lot of hits so that you don't have to. And that's got to be worth something to you. And here's another reason why. So, you know, if you read a bunch of diet books, but you don't change your diet, nothing changes, right? If you're overweight, you're eating a thousand extra calories a day. You read a bunch of diet books, but you don't actually change what you eat. Reading the diet books is kind of pointless. So I'll tell you, there's something that sits deep down uh, deep in your brain, which uh, is trying to figure out whether you're serious about what you're talking about. Are you serious about, is it just talk, right? Is it just talk? And it follows your resource acquisition, right? It follows your resource, sorry, it follows where you put your resources, right? So if you, like you think of your muscles, right? If you say, you know, I'm looking at all these pictures of buff guys and I'm reading, you know, Muscle Mag Fitness 101 or something like that. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at all these inspirational lose weight bulk up videos. And it's like your muscles are like, well, that's all well and good. Are we actually lifting any weights? Right. All your muscles do is sit there and say, is your behavior going to change? Where are you putting your time and energy? Now, when it comes to philosophy, when it comes to virtue, are you just listening to a guy on the net? Are you just finding it entertaining and inter interesting? Or are you actually going to do something about it? Now, doing something about it doesn't just mean donating to me, although that's not unimportant. Because deep down in your brain, deep down in your brain, your unconscious, the, the sort of seed of your power, remember the unconscious has been clocked at 6,000 times faster than the conscious mind. And the unconscious is sitting there and saying, okay, you seem to be really interested in philosophy. Is it worth 20 bucks a month here? Is, is philosophy, is virtue, is truth, is honor, is dignity, is pushing back against tyranny? Is it worth 20 bucks a month to you? And if the answer to that is no, then it's like, okay, so we're just, you know, it's just talk. We don't, we're not actually going to do anything. We're not going to actually change anything. Because, you know, what is that, 80 cents a day? Is it worth 80 cents a day? That's like a latte a week kind of thing. Is philosophy worth a latte a week? And if it's not, now again, it doesn't have to be me. It could be someone else you find inspiring, or maybe it's, it's time that you put in uh, to, to something, right? So whatever it is going to be, supporting me is, is one way to do it. And so deep down, if philosophy isn't worth 20 bucks a month to you or 10 bucks a month to you, nothing's going to change. Nothing is going to change in your life. You're not going to activate any change matrices. You're not going to reboot. You're not going to change your programming. And again, it can be nothing to do with giving money to me. It could be bringing challenging conversations to people in your life. It could be supporting someone else. It could be starting your own channel. It could be whatever, spreading challenging information to other people and taking the hits, right? So that's the reality. You should donate time, energy to me, to philosophy, to anyone you feel, so that you start to take yourself seriously. I mean, if you look at all the time and energy and effort, this is my third show today. It's the time, energy and effort that I'm putting into all of this stuff, the risks that I'm taking, the violence that I'm facing, the, the bomb threats, the death threats, you name it, right? That's where I am. And that's why I get such great stuff out of philosophy, because we're taking this pretty freaking seriously. Uh, in, in this planet of, of mine. Where are you in your commitment? And if your commitment is nowhere, how are you going to win? Stefan is much tastier than a latte can confirm. Ah, 
Stefan is actually willing to take on his opposition, but no, no one is able or willing to debate him. No, no, that's not true. I had a debate um, with Jay Dyer. I've got one coming out with Rush, the uh, communist and so on. Stefan, what was your inspiration for doing this channel, Free Domain, and what keeps you going in the face of evil? Um... Uh, the, the choice is what? what? What are other options? Lay down and die? End up in a gulag? Because that's what happens if you don't fight back. I mean, I know enough about history to know that for sure. So, um, all right. Which philosophical topic you learned about helped you the most in your life? Hmm. Well, self-knowledge was very, very important so that I could actually have relationships to arguments without the volatility of taking them personally or being triggered or, you know, I can, I can look at the arguments and try and figure them out. I can even look at my own strong reaction. Like I reacted strongly to the Richard Dawkins, right? And like, please understand, I'm not saying that Richard Dawkins thinks that there should be organized institutional rape. I'm not saying he thinks that. I'm just saying that the examples he provides are not voluntary, right? And that's kind of the logic of the position. I'm not saying that Richard Dawkins wants there to be institutionalized rape or castration or anything like that. I'm just saying that this is the logic of the position, that all of the examples that he cites are not voluntary ones at all. So I would say that uh, self-knowledge is really important. It's necessary but not sufficient to actually get uh, to get to reason. All right. Uh, how come in college when I studied some philosophy, it was all communist and socialist? What the F? I bought, I bought two into it years ago. Yeah, well, that's because uh, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest catastrophe that faced the West was, or that the West decided was to turn over education to the state. Boy, if you just do that, you're just doomed. All right. Uh, have you tried spreading philosophy on a cam website? Wear something sexy. Are you trying to say that there's something I could wear that wouldn't be sexy? I don't follow that. That seems odd, odd, odd to me. All right. He has a child to raise. Let's be his village. Donate. <laughs> Where do you reside? What country? And what are your thoughts on the coronavirus and it actually crashing the U.S. global economy? Will that unfold, Stefan? Yeah, there is going to be... A big disruption. I talked about that today in the Truth About Coronavirus Origins. You should check that out. Uh, I reside in Canada, and yeah, the coronavirus is a very big deal, and it's a very serious deal, and it is actually, it's not going to crash the U.S. global economy, but we're going to have to find out how quickly substitutes can be created and delivered in this reach, and you got it, relay race of just-in-time delivery, just-in-time manufacturing, just-in-time delivery, and so there's going to be a lot of, and it's good. It's a really, really good thing. This is one of the fortuitous geniuses of Trump. It's a really, really good thing that Trump has been focusing so much on bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. because I think the U.S. is going to have to make up for a lot of what's been going on in China, or rather what's not going on in China, which is actual manufacturing these days. So, yeah, good for him. All right. Let's see here. What else do we have? How do people donate? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I heard this um, quarantined, how many hundreds of millions of people quarantined. I, you know, 
I'm not sure how much is how many people are quarantined at the moment or what the definition is. So, hey, Steph, do you think a company of 50 or more people can function well without middle managers? I think it would be tough because you do get kind of stretched thin as a leader. So, but, you know, finding middle managers is really tough because they're either on their way up, in which case they don't want to stay middle managers, or they've kind of settled into the Macedon, slow, middle-aged, spread your waist, tar pit of middle management, and then they just lose their uh, their gumption, they lose their mojo, so to speak, right? Most people are children, even in their old age. Now this, let me just get this quote, because it's been a while since I talked about this. Uh, but I remember being on vacation. I went on a two-week vacation on my own to, gosh, where did I go? Dominican Republic or something. This is many, many, many years ago. And I was reading a lot of Jung at the time, which, is, which has a sort of pluses and its minuses. And I was reading Jung. I'm going to see if I, I don't want to sort of stop the whole show while I try and find this quote. Let me try sort of one more time. It's been a while since I talked about it, but this quote hit me sort of like a thunderbolt. And uh, it was really, really powerful for me. Let's see here. I don't think I'll be able to find it. Yeah, I don't think I will. Yeah, the, the uh, nothing affects a child more than the unlived life of its parent. And I remember when I was taking therapy, my therapist said that she thought my mother had an unlived life as a murderer. And uh, it may be true. <laughs> um, okay, let me try one more. Yeah, I don't think I'll be able to find it. Okay, well, I'll paraphrase it. So the, the quote was um, that most adults, most parents grow into adulthood being more than half children themselves. And I had this this terrible and terrifying, I wouldn't say debilitating, but a very, very serious fear of never growing up. Oh, man, of never growing up. Uh, that was because my childhood was, ba was, was bad, was really, really bad, right? So to not grow up was really just something else, uh, a, a terrifying thought. A terrifying thought. I mean, there's this woman. Let's see if I can uh, find her. Uh, yeah, Mindy. Uh, uh, Mindy Robinson. Uh, she's this uh, woman, uh, actress, patriot, and host of Red, White, and Fu. And um, yeah, she's got you know one of these traditional, doesn't seem to me super conservative, cleavage shots uh, on her uh, Twitter. And and she got uh, upset with me because she's turned 40 and I was like, hey, I hope you had time to have kids because, you know, you, she is, she's well-educated, she's smart, she's very pretty. And uh, I was like, hey, I hope you had, and then she just, <laughs> I guess she didn't. I don't know if she had kids or not, but uh, I hope that she did. And yeah, she just got super mad at me and uh, uh, got really, uh, really hostile and all that. And, you know, like I'm, you know, like she it was experiencing this as, as me 
uh, telling her to have children, ordering her to have children. She's not just going to be a baby factory, which is a really gross and disgusting phrase to use for um, for motherhood. You know, as people refer to motherhood as, as being a baby factory, they're talking about my lovely wife being a baby factory. And that's just like, sorry, I'm just not going to sit and take that. It's just rude, right? It's really rude. And this is that kind of re- that kind of reaction where, hey, I'm just like, hey, you're, you know, you're smart, you're pretty, happy birthday, I hope you had time to have kids, right? It's an important question. Um, but, right, I just didn't want to be that reactionary, because free will is really, really important, and when you're reactionary, you don't have free will. You're just like a pinball bouncing around the bumpers, right? You don't have choice. You just only have reaction, and having seen what that is like is really, uh, really bad, uh, really bad as a whole. All right, a couple more questions. I don't want to make this one too late tonight, too long. Stop asking for money. No, I won't stop asking for the money. You I mean you're here in my chat, you're listening to what I have to say. Return value for value for heaven's sakes, right? I mean, for me, like even if and I say this to my daughter, right? So we play this game uh, Rocket League and we've played a bunch of other games here and there. And I'm like, uh, you know, we should we should buy something. And she's like, well, you know, we can play for free. And we had this conversation. It's like, yeah, but, uh, you know, we're not taking ads. And, you know, these programmers work hard on this. And it's giving us fun. It's giving us enjoyment. So we should buy something from uh, from the programmers. And uh, you know, that's just fair. I don't know why that's so complicated. That's just, that's just fair. Return value for value. Like, okay, let me sort of give you an example, right? So ads can be kind of overwhelming, particularly for uh, smaller shows, right? And if you watch TV, you can get like, I don't know, what, eight minutes of ad every every 30 minutes, right? Seven minutes of ads every 30 minutes, right? Now, imagine if I had a whole bunch of ads in this show. Now, let's say that you watch 100 shows, and I had, you know, 10 minutes of ads in each show, right? This is, you know, just your basic empathy math, right? So you watch a thousand, no, you watch a hundred shows, I have 10 minutes, right? So that's a thousand hours, right? So, so divide that, sorry, it's a thousand minutes. So divide that by, um, let me just, sorry, I just want to make sure I get the math. You watch a hundred shows, I've got 10 minutes of ads per show. So that would be a thousand minutes of, um, of ads that you'd have to sit through. And that's... Um, rounding up 17 hours of ads, right? Watch 100 shows, that would be 17 hours of ads that you'd have to sit through. I'm not inflicting that on you. That's more than two full work days of ads that you'd have to sit through. And that's assuming that in a two-hour show, I only have 10 minutes of ads, right? Let's say it's five minutes of ads. That's still more than a work day, more than eight hours of ads that you'd have to sit through. You don't have to sit through that. You don't have to sit through ads in what I do. Now, that's a choice that I've made. You're not fundamentally responsible for that. But if you appreciate when I'm in the middle of an intense conversation with someone or unraveling a very complex idea, not having to sit through a two-minute ad, you know, when someone's crying about an emotional breakthrough or I'm wrestling with some complex idea or in the midst of a really fascinating discussion with a guest, an interview subject on this show, and there's not a break where you have to try and remember what was said before and it comes crashing through and interrupts the conversation. If you appreciate that, then you should pay for that appreciation because you're going to pay one way or the other, of course, right? If I have ads, then you pay in time. What's your time worth, right? What's your time worth, right? So if I had, if you watched 100 shows, 
the thousand minutes of ads, that's 17 hours, right? So I've saved you 17 hours. I've saved you two full workdays, right? So let's say you get paid, I don't know, 30 bucks an hour, right? Okay, so more or less, we'll, we'll stay with the math, right? 16.667 times 30. I've just saved you 500 bucks. I've just saved you 500 bucks by not running ads. <laughs> Come on. I've just saved you 500 bucks. And I've helped the transmission of concentrated philosophy without interruptions. Is that worth I just saved you 500 bucks. You can't throw me 10 bucks. You can't throw me 20 bucks. Come on. What's your, like, what are you worth? It's not really what I worth. What's 500 bucks of your time? worth at 30 bucks an hour, which is 60,000 a year, right? What's that worth to you? It's a matter of self-respect as well, right? So anyway, that's just, that's just the way I calculate it. That's my entrepreneurial background. And of course, you can do whatever you want. I'm not going to order you. I'm just making the case. Keep giving me content for free, bitch. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be a response for sure. That could be a response. And uh, you're basically just saying, I don't want to pay my way. I want other people to pay my way. That's going to show up everywhere. That's going to show up in your relationships. It's going to show up in your professional life. You know, just your sense of integrity, your sense of, of virtue, your sense of, of honor. I mean, come on, right? All right. You are one of the greatest thinkers of our time, says Sean in a debate about determinism. You asked, are you calling my wife a robot? If we're all robots, isn't being a robot awesome and actually a compliment? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. All right. Um, where do stats like single mothers have an average IQ in the low 90s? Uh, that, I believe, comes from, please don't quote me on this. I will look it up if the question comes back a lot. But um, it uh, comes from uh, Charles Murray, if I remember rightly. So you can uh, check that out. Uh, if you really can't find it, just let me know and I'll, I'll dig it up somewhere. Okay. I saved $500 by switching to Stefan. LOL. Yes, that's true. And listen... It also, if I had to say, I'm not going to pause for a commercial break or I'm going to insert a commercial here, I would do fewer shows, right? Because I you know, have to negotiate all these commercial contracts. Lord knows I'm not getting them off YouTube, right? Uh, I'm demonetized completely on, on YouTube. So I would, I would have to sit there not doing shows but negotiating contracts. I would then have to find good places to insert the ads where it wasn't too awkward and it would be... It would be a mess. And then, of course, I would have to include that there's paid advertising in the YouTube, which might further diminish the shareability of it. I mean, it would just, you know, do you want quality shows? Just support what it is that I do. I'm saving you a massive amount of time and money. You know, there are people who've said, oh, I've listened to a thousand shows of yours, right? That saved them a hundred. <laughs> that saved them 170 hours of time, right? You listen to a thousand shows, right? That saved them 170 hours of time. Divide that by, oh, let's just say a 7.5-hour workday, right? So that's uh, rounding up. That's 23 days. That's a full work month I've saved them by not having ads. And I'm like, hey, do you ever donate? No. <laughs> I just saved you a month of work time. But you didn't have to listen to ads and you can't throw me 40 bucks. Anyway, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? All right. Let's do one or two more questions. Um, Oh, I won't read that. <laughs> I won't read that. All right. Uh, why don't you wear ads? 
no cooldowns on philosophy and ads is on all the time. Best deal. Uh, yeah, so people are, would you be interested? Do you care if I did Skyrim? Uh, I like Skyrim. I haven't played it in a while, but uh, I did get fairly, fairly high up. Uh, would you guys be at all interested in a Skyrim roam around? I'm just not entirely sure. Uh, uh, just not entirely sure what that would mean. So um, whether it would be interesting, whether it would be any good or whatever. So yes, say some people. And uh, yes, 100%. Uh, Steph, I work in the medical field and I've come to see firsthand how much suffering there is in death. How, how do I overcome the fear of death? Uh, well, you know, as a guy who stared down the twin barrels of cancer when my child was little, uh, I've had that, uh, that experience. Um, there is no way to overcome your fear of death because that's a condition for living, assuming that you like living. But the only way to overcome the fear of death is to live as richly and powerfully and courageously as you can. And that way, at least when death comes, you haven't wasted a damn thing. That's the only way that I think you can rationally and productively get over the uh, fear of death. Uh, I'd oddly enjoy watching you roam in Skyrim. Huh. All right. Uh, Skyrim, yeah, Skyrim is, is old for sure. Skyrim while debating communists. Uh, watching Steph do Twitch would be pretty great. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll think about it. Um, if Izzy were older, you should show her Skyrim. Hmm. All right. Fallout 4 is better. I've never tried uh, Fallout 4. How's the cheese in Canada? It's good, man. I love me some good cheese. I'm uh, My entire life sometimes feels like uh, just roaming around that cheese shop sketch from Monty Python. The Witcher 3 is better. That's kind of old now too, isn't it? You on DLive? I certainly am on DLive. Play Dance Dance Revolution. Oh, that'd be funny. Favorite role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons. I did a bit of Traveler, but I really liked Dungeons & Dragons. Debate either Vox Day or Duke Pester on the existence of God. No, I really don't feel like doing I've done so much of the existence of God stuff in the past. I have done books on it. And uh, because I have such respect for Christianity these days, I'm not going to be... Uh, pursuing that. I have a 24-year-old girlfriend. I can't seem to attract older women. Should I stay celibate or try to find an older woman? What's wrong with your 24-year-old girlfriend? Sounds fine to me. Um, Schopenhauer says, death is objectively better, friends. So yeah, well, he was German, wasn't he? German? All right. Stefan should do some stripping. Steffi the sexy. Well, that's true, but some things are just for, just for the home or just for the wife. All right. Debate with Cultured Thug, Freedom versus Fascism, Part 2. Eh, so I don't think that thing did hugely well. Skyrim job. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Uh, is there a good new Skyrim-y Witcher 3 thing that's coming out uh, at all? Anything new coming out? Thoughts on Carl Jung? I should do a whole presentation on that. That would be good. I don't think that Nick Fuentes should have been banned by YouTube. Uh, I just, I mean, I don't know because I don't, I don't know what he did. I don't know what he was accused of and all that. Um, but having uh, uh, arguments and perspectives that people find offensive should not be that. Stefan smokes weed for the first time. Mm. How does begin setting their life in order after a major defeat? Oh, I have one of those every six months. Thanks for all that you do, Steph. These comments are cracking me up. Thoughts on public versus Catholic school system in Ontario. Will it be done away with? Sure. Yeah, you've got to make room for the uh, masks, right? 
play the Elder Scrolls online. Is that any good? Is that any good? Let's see. Cyberpunk 2077. I prefer the medieval-y kind of things, uh, the cyberpunk stuff. Blech, blech. What do you think about the Litany of Fear from Frank Herbert's Dune? I never really got that much into Dune, to be honest with you. It just seemed kind of surreal and weird to me. And let's see here. Dark Souls Bloodborne. Uh, Bloodborne is one of the Skyrim mods, right? I think it is, right? Glad you overcame cancer. What do you think was the biggest thing that helped? Uh, well, um, first of all, uh, luck. Uh, secondly, the fact that I've lived a pretty healthy life with a lot of exercise. I've maintained weight. I actually weigh ne- less now than I did when I was a teenager. And so, uh, and this is what some of the docs said, you know, that because I have a, a sort of basis of, of robust health and exercise, that's really going to help me kick it. So, all right. Do you homeschool? Yes. I am a, I'm afraid of sending my child to school in Canada. Yes, you should be. Should young men even be playing video games? Not at the expense of getting out there and living, for sure. I appreciate that. Um, you should try Minecraft. It's a really creative open world game. I uh, have tried Minecraft. You can actually find my daughter and I playing Minecraft. It's on my channel on uh, YouTube. Uh, it's not really for me. It's too blocky. It's too Lego-y. It's too goofy. I prefer things with a bit more seriousness to it, if that makes sense. Uh, let's see here. Uh, how do we fight back against anti-white discrimination? Um, I think we just have to keep pounding the drum that we want to oppose racism in all of its forms. So uh, that's the best, you know, whether that's going to work or not, I really, really don't know. But uh, it's uh, better to uh, better to try. And what are the other options, right? Just uh, wait for the fascists to show up. I'd rather not. Uh, no, I had cancer. Don't have cancer. I've been clean for uh, seven or eight years now, so I am good. Steph, what do you think about what do you do about siblings who are still close with abusive parents and project their dysfunctions onto you? Well, they make their choices, and um, their choices don't have to be your choices. And I don't spend time around dysfunctional people. I just don't do it. Will Clinton ever see a courtroom? No, no, that's not going to happen. Sadly. All right. Um, Kingdom Come is an amazing medievally game, Steph. All right, Kingdom Come. I will check it out. Thank you very much. Do more walks in the woods videos. Well, it's kind of crazy how deep the woods, uh, the, the snow is in the woods. I went out with my daughter today, and uh, it was just crazy. My next debate is Sunday evening at 8 p.m. I will live stream it, uh, so that would be great. Uh, Jay Dyer was fun to have on the show. It was a bit uh, surprising to me because he was really harsh uh, with me, uh, and I sort of pointed that out at the beginning. I kind of wanted to get that off my chest. But uh, he was a very reasonable guy to chat with. But uh, I guess it's different when you're talking to a webcam than when you're talking to a person. Uh, Let's see here. Will you do a Doom Eternal review? I think I will. That looks fun. But it's not out for another couple of months, isn't it? Will you talk with Milo again? Um, (laughs) I had some issues with Milo. Um, But uh, I'm, you know... When I've had issues with with people, right? Um, I'm not, I I don't sit there and brood. I'm not frustrated or hostile, you know, like the people I've had really negative run-ins with uh, over the years. um, I, I, you know, now if they were to say to me, send me a message saying, you know what, I've thought about it. You explained what the issue was. You know, you got a point or let's talk about it some more. Yeah, I'm always open. 
to more conversation, but I'm not open to pursuing people who don't admit fault. That uh, never works out for me. At least it hasn't. Have you tried Skyrim Sloot mods such as the Dungeon mods? I will take a copy of that too and check it out. I wish I had time for video games, but uh, these days not so much. I will occasionally dip into Serious Sam 3 as a real bludgeon fest of pixel stimulation like mainlighting crack up your dick. But it's a really, uh, it's really good. Always appreciate your upbeat, positive mood, Steph. Thank you very much. Was Milo rude to you? Uh, no, not really. We were supposed to do a show about South Africa, and then he—I wouldn't say he ambushed me, but uh, he wanted me to to talk about negative stuff about Jordan Peterson, and I kind of really didn't. And then he published a show behind his paywall, saying, you know, Steph thinks Jordan Peterson is a whatever, whatever, something negative, which I didn't say. And then I sort of complained about it, and uh, he then changed the name of the show to Jordan Peterson Worships. Oh, sorry, Stefan Molyneux Worships. Everything about Jordan Peterson. It was just kind of like kind of annoying and, and not true and not particularly uh, uh, productive or positive. What is the psychological cause of phobias? Well, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I think that there's definitely some, you know, direct sense evidence and sense history about that. Could you interview the Hodge twins? I think that would be delightful. I think that would be great fun. Uh, just uh, reach out for them if you want and try and set it up, or I can do that too. Can you do a new video about circumcision? I could, but I've done a lot of stuff about that in the past, and I'm not sure. I'll do it if I have something new to say, but I don't really have anything new to say. What happened to Mike? You had a great rapport with him. Um, yeah, I mean, things change, people move on, um, uh, you know, things don't, uh, don't last forever, but, uh, all right. What is your process of studying? You are knowledgeable about a lot. Well, the show has helped a lot with that, of course, because I've had to study a lot for interviews and, and presentations and so on. So I just find something that's really interesting and, um, I just dig into it until, until I'm done, if that makes sense. You, um, you, you read until you are out of wonder when it comes to a particular topic. Like, well, how do you know you're done? You're out of wonder. There's nothing that you read that's like, oh my gosh, this is also fantastic when you're done with that. Steph, do you think Bernie will be the nominee? And if so, that the Democrats will come together for the general? Well, as Mike Cernovich has said, the, um, the, uh, the Bloomberg thing is not to be ignored. The Bloomberg thing is not to be ignored. And I had a conversation with Sticks Hex and Hammer 666, which is right now out for the subscribe star supporters, I'll probably put it out tomorrow. And, um, you know, that amount of money, uh, somebody pointed out, uh, it, would you spend $800 to become president of the United States? Well, you probably would, right? And that's how much it's going to cost this guy to try and become president. So game of life. Graphics are phenomenal. Okay, I will check that out. Uh, why is Bitcoin better than fiat crap? I got a whole presentation. I mean, I've been meaning to get back into the Bitcoin world. Uh, a lot has changed. Since I did it, but the basics are still there, you can uh, check out um, my The Truth About Bitcoin, which is a presentation I did some years ago. You have to write a book on parenting with scenarios how to deal with children. Okay, I will. I will. Why is your accent not Canadian? Uh, as I was born in Ireland and grew up in England. Also spent a little bit of time in South Africa. Hello from Australia. Hello back. BTC, mooning hard, about to explode. All right. Um, my IQ was tested at 148 when I was a child. Now, come on. You can't be both a child and 148 years old. What are you, a Democrat voter? All right. Let's see here. Do you think Trump will win? 
I think that predictions tend to be self-defeating, and I was very much aware of that in 2016 as well. So I would take nothing for granted. Uh, Stefan, do you think there will ever be a communist trial in the world? Yes, if there is to be a world that's worth living in, there will be a communist trial. Uh, do you believe in IQ by race? I accept the science. I am not a science denier. All right. Vinland Saga. Ooh. Anime. Anime creeps the living hell out of me. Maybe it's just Studio Ghibli, but... Um, uh, it's, uh, anime just is freaky to me. Uh, we're off to outer space to save the planet Earth. Star of Blazer, Star Blazers. I used to watch that as a kid. I never watched the ending of it because it finished at nine and I had to get to school in the morning. I have a very poor memory, Steph. Do you have any tips on how to improve it? Well, it probably means that you're not focusing on enough stuff that you really care about. When you really care about stuff, it tends to stay with your mind, right? Thank you, Stefan. I found my virtuous fiance. Mwah! Wonderful. Great. I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely um, thrilled with that. What do you think of the Groypers and their criticism of conservative ink? Uh, I do think that there's a lot to criticize in mainstream conservatism, particularly the lack of concern about mass immigration, which the very brave Valkyrie, well, Valkyries, I suppose, Michelle Malkin and Ann Coulter have been talking about for years. And Michelle Malkin is very fierce around this stuff. And I do think that this uh, criticism is is important and it's valid and needs to be discussed, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. You get used to weird anime tropes. Well, not if you don't keep looking at them, you don't. All right. What about a conversation with Glenn Beck? I don't really know what I would... Maybe about his childhood trauma. That would be interesting. Should Meghan Markle and Harry leave Canada? Oh, God, I got to tell you, I really, <laughs> I really don't care what Meghan Markle and her handbag-carrying husband do, uh, I really don't care. I wish that Canadian taxpayers weren't on the hook for their security costs. That seems kind of ridiculous, but, um, yeah, leftism can uh, often smash up families, so. All right. Have you ever given QAnon a good look? I believe it was made up uh, as a lark and kind of got out of control. All right. Sorry, you guys are too fascinating. I've never heard you talk of UFOs. Do you have an opinion? Oh, gosh. I did a show. Oh, I covered for some guy's show many years ago and did a whole thing on UFOs. So just have a look at it on uh, my channel. I have talked about UFOs before. Do you think a cure for baldness is going to happen in your lifetime? Well, there is a cure for baldness, but I think it involves taking medication that can cause sterility. So, uh, and the other thing, too, is that baldness is not, not a disease. Uh, it's not a disease at all, right? It's, it's fine. Are you a fan of Alistair Crowley? Not from what I've heard. Not from what I've heard. You know, for people who want to... Uh, will you ever talk again with Lauren Southern? Well, just because you don't talk with someone online doesn't mean you never talk to them. But, um, you know, if you want me to talk to someone, you know, feel free to take the initiative and set it up. I don't mean you guys didn't necessarily work for me or whatever, but you can always send someone... If, like, if, if I get a message, you send me a message, and the email's on the website... If I get a message that say, oh, I've talked to so-and-so, they'd be interested in doing a show together with you, that's going to go a lot further than, hey, have you ever thought about doing a show with so-and-so? Uh, so that is uh, something to, you know, be, we're, we're partners here. We're partners. All right. What do you think about Sticks, Hex, and Hammer's occultism? It's not my cup of tea, clank, clank. 
All right. Um, yeah, well, bald is a sex machine solar panel. Well, you know what they say, uh, grass doesn't grow on a well-trodden path. <laughs> uh, all right. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. I don't know Glenn personally. All right. Aren't we all immigrants unless born native Aboriginal? No, native Aboriginals were immigrants uh, to North America. There were Europeans there beforehand. And there's a big difference between immigrants and settlers. Settlers are the ones who create the society. Immigrants come and take welfare. It's a very, very big difference. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Wait. Ah! Oh, drop my glasses. Whoa, they're back. I know. On and off. Drop frames. 1920. Ooh, I wonder if that has anything to do with the coincidence of the Wuhan coronavirus and 1920 being one of the big years of the Spanish flu. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. All right. Thanks, everyone, for a wonderful chat. I can't believe we just do these things like an hour and a half, like it ain't no thing. You guys have great questions. I hope this cleared up for people what was going on with me and uh, Richard Dawkins. And um, if you want to check out how you can have morality without religion, my book, Universally Preferable Behavior, is available. Oh, yes, one other thing, too. So... If you are supporting me through Subscribestar, which, again, I massively appreciate, there is a Discord server which you can get access to that I usually have open. I can answer questions during the day if I'm going to take a break from doing work or whatever I'm doing. So uh, when you sign up, you get access to a Discord server, and uh, we sometimes chat on there, and I certainly text on there quite a bit. And you can, of course, it's the best way to get messages through to me. So I just wanted to mention that. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Love you guys. And I won't say love you to death, love you to life. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful evening. Uh, lots of love from us here and uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I'll talk to you soon.